Welcome to the Untold Tales Audio Anthologies. Written by Hal Fulton and narrated by Melissa Del Toro Schaffner. Ahead of His Time Of a late summer's eve in London, when all of the clamor of the day is done and all of the shops are closed, the narrower streets and the cobbled alleys grow deserted. Long reaches of shadow lie between the sputtering street lamps, which provide only the sounds. Ordinary folk do not frequent these places, fearing cut purses and worse. But the criminal element does not frequent these alleys, since their victims are not about. Some places are impossible to find, except when one is lost. Indeed, who has not occasionally stumbled across a little cafe or galley or shop? and then been unable subsequently to locate it again. The superstitious might grant that there was something fey or supernatural about these places that apparently come and go of their own accord. In a day or a week, the traveler returns to what he is sure is the same spot, only to find unfamiliar surroundings and unhelpful passers-by. It was on just such an evening, in the summer of 21, a gentleman attired in black found himself lost in such a cobbled maze. He had gone out on an evening walk, leaving the confines of his hotel room to taste the night air. Being of a mathematical bent, he had his mind fixed upon a problem, and he was not sensible of his surroundings, nor did he keep good account of the turnings he took in his travels. Nearly two hours had gone when he stopped suddenly in the middle of a narrow street, blinking as though awakened from a slumber. He knew suddenly that he was in an utterly unfamiliar quarter of the city, with no idea of how he'd gotten there or how to find his way back. He turned to look back at the street from off he had turned only moments before. Every shop window was dark, and in fact, he could not recall when he had last seen a lighted window or another living soul upon the street. He turned forward, therefore, and perceived a dim light beyond the next street lamp, surely from one of the shops on that cramped nameless street. He thanked fortune that it must be inhabited by another nocturnal creature such as himself. Striding then resolutely forward, he soon stood before the source of light, a narrow little shop with many-paned windows, bearing a thin coating of dust. The sign above the door was weathered and faded. It read, A. Thomason, purveyor of antiquities and oddities. It was a wonder that he had seen the shop at all, for the light which now spilled onto the paving was very dim indeed. But squinting through the pane of the door, he could see that the shop was occupied, for he could see a man sitting at a long, low desk with his account books spread before him. With some hesitation, he tried the door, found it unlocked, and opened it, stepping inside. He removed his hat, inclined his head, and with an apologetic smile said, Good sir, forgive me, but might I intrude upon your time? With that, the proprietor looked up for the first time and returned the smile. His light brown hair was tinged very slightly with gray, and his bespectacled eyes betrayed intelligence and warmth. When he stood to return the greeting, his stature was not great, but he seemed to possess a dignity beyond that of the usual shopkeeper. 
I suppose, he said, that you have gone on an evening walk and have gotten lost? The gentleman in black was of a mind to leave, but he felt an impulse to respond to the offer of conversation. He murmured his introduction and shook hands with the proprietor. Please, let me show you around my treasure house. There is something here to interest everyone, and I do not doubt that you will find some bauble or artifact to interest you as well. Saying this, the proprietor reached over and turned up the desk lamp so that the illumination was trebled. The gentleman in black perceived then that the ceiling was higher than he had believed, higher than that of a typical shop. Indeed, it must have extended partway into the second story, perhaps with an attic space above. The walls, moreover, were lined with shelves to a height far greater than a man's reach, and the upper shelves, almost at the ceiling, were accessible only by the ladders which ran back and forth on rails. These shelves were piled with an amazingly diverse assemblage of items. There were loose papers, books, and manuscripts in no discernible order. There were boxes and small crates which looked as though they had strained the shelving with their weight. And there was a hint of not quite recognizable objects in the still dim light, objects ranging from ornate figurines in ceramic and pewter to small musical instruments and even mechanical contrivances. The middle area of the store was divided into two aisles, though it was barely wide enough for it. There were more items piled in the middle, including boxes, trunks, tables filled to overflowing, and unidentifiable man-sized things which loomed in the shadows. Though the shop was narrow, surely no more than 15 feet across, it seemed to go back forever. In fact, surely the back of the shop must adjoin another street so that it had twice the depth of its neighbors. The proprietor leaned forward a little to examine his companion. I perceive, he said, that you are a professor by occupation. The other man blinked and was taken aback, experiencing the same sensation one has when a mentalist or a charlatan of a fortune teller makes a lucky surmise. I am indeed, he said, and laughed. But if one can tell merely by looking at me, I should speak with my tailor. But the proprietor only smiled in return, saying, I make it my business to know such things. He turned and retrieved a taper from a desk drawer, then lit it from the desk lamp. He began picking up odds and ends from the vast array around them, holding each one as if he were intimately familiar with it and telling its meaning and history with no benefit of a label or catalog. In truth, the professor was not much inclined to this sort of thing. Although one or two of the items had caught his eye, the proprietor was showing him a small worn sculpture, perhaps of bronze. It is several centuries old, he was saying. A copy of a much older Roman piece, but it is the work of a minor artisan. The professor's attention was beginning to wander when the other man suddenly stopped and smiled. But this is not what you came here to find, he said. This is an interesting and varied assortment of merchandise, said the professor, returning to himself. But of course, he said, 
I came here by accident and didn't come here to find anything at all. What is accident? said the shorter man. And what is design? Everyone, I assure you, comes here looking for something. Come with me. The other man followed the proprietor, obedient but perplexed, and presently they stood before the ladder that ran the length of the right-hand side of the store. Here, will you hold this? said the shopkeeper, handing over the candle, which the professor gingerly took. Higher, so I can see. When he came back down the ladder, he held in his hands a plain wooden box of indeterminate age. It was well over a foot in width, not quite so big front to back, and with a depth of only a few inches. Here, he said, over on the desk, empty that chair and sit down. The professor did so with a growing sense of wonder, for we all from childhood have a fascination with closed boxes. What might this one contain? The shopkeeper took the candle and snuffed it out, then turned without ceremony to the box and raised the hinged lid. Inside was a package wrapped in paper, and the wrappings had yellowed with the passage of time. He carefully removed the package and placed it on the surface of the desk, undoing the bundle to reveal even more ancient, discolored paper within, paper that seemed to be covered in writing. The professor leaned over it, curious in spite of himself. These sheets, they are clearly vellum, clearly parchment, and the writing, the odd writing, that is Arabic or some such. No, said the shopkeeper. It is Italian. Italian, but surely, I mean to say, I cannot even discern the letters. Such a scroll. At this point, the professor stopped as if struck dumb. He delicately picked up a single page from the stack of papers and held it in front of him. He turned it away from him, staring at the back, and held it between himself and the flame of the desk lamp. He was lost in wonderment, for the moment speechless. This is written backward, right to left, he said at length. I'm not a man of great artistic knowledge, but... May I ask the age of this manuscript? The exact age is uncertain, said the proprietor. It is approximately 320 years, and certainly no more than 330. The professor had already gone on to examine later pages. There is mathematics here, he said hoarsely. I recognize much of the notation, though some of it is cryptic to me. And this... Here he indicated a set of neatly labeled drawings. This is a Cartesian graph, or I am the king. But it is a Cartesian graph that is older than Descartes. His companion said nothing in return. Minutes passed as he sat literally on the edge of his seat. He turned the pages over slowly and deliberately as if they were made of priceless gold leaf. This is astounding, he said at last. It is simply astounding. Before Newton, before Leibniz, how many discoveries must he have made? He looked up at the proprietor, his eyes begging for the truth. Is it genuine? he asked. Is this manuscript the work of Leonardo da Vinci? It is, his companion answered. And I mean it to be yours. 
You will take it with you. The professor's jaw nearly dropped. I could not, he said. In the first place, I could never afford. You need not buy it, the shopkeeper said. It is a gift. As the other man opened his mouth to protest, he made a dismissive gesture and said, I will have it no other way. The manuscript had reclaimed the professor's attention. There is more here, he said. This man was renowned for his mechanical skills. It is no wonder that his drawings of gears are so precise. And yet, if this manuscript is of a single piece... He was lost in the pages, talking to himself. One would have to machine these parts to a tolerance of less than the thousandth part of an inch. And what in heaven does this have to do with calculus? He asked, staring at the yellowed parchment. When understanding came to him, his hands began to shake with excitement. No, he said. I have dared to dream of such things only recently, but no, it cannot be. He stared wild-eyed across the desk at the proprietor. It can be, and it is, said the shopkeeper. Now take it with you. It is past midnight now. The professor did not argue. He stood, gathered up the pages, reassembled the package, and returned it to the box. He clutched it to his chest, wide-eyed as if in a daze, and moved toward the door. He paused and turned around. I trust, Mr. Thomason, he said, that I will be able to find my way back, that I shall not need your directions. No, said the shopkeeper, you will not. And I trust, he said slowly, that I shall have great difficulty finding this shop again, or even this street. The shopkeeper smiled and spread his hands in a gesture of futility. Many people, he said, find what they need here and do not come back. Then I thank you, sir. Thank you and good evening. Without another word, the professor eased through the front door and walked off into the dimly lit alley. The shopkeeper stood at the door. Good evening to you too, Mr. Babbage. Good evening to you too. Thank you for listening. We love our listeners, fans, and patrons. Please share this podcast with your friends and family and anybody who might be a sci-fi buff. We know they'll love it. And if you'd like to support the show for about one cup of coffee a month, you can go to the link on the bottom of the show notes in every episode and find a support this podcast link. We value bringing original, high-quality short stories to you every month, and we appreciate your support to keep this podcast ad-free. Thank you so much and have a great day.